If you have a Bible, I would ask you to turn to the Gospel according to Matthew, chapter 5, and I'm going to read verses 33 to 37. Matthew chapter 5, verses 33 to 37. This is Jesus speaking, and he said, Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. This is the word of the Lord. So I have a question for you to ponder for a moment. Is it always necessary to tell the truth? I can think at least one occasion when it's okay to not tell the truth. And parents, it's okay. What I'm about to say, it's not going to counter your parenting, I promise. One occasion when it's okay not to tell the truth, and that's when you're playing the get-to-know-you game called Two Truths and a Lie. Raise your hand if you know this get-to-know-you game. Okay, some of you do. So this, for me, goes back to many years as a youth pastor, a great game in small groups to, to get to know one another. And the gist of it is, every person's supposed to think of three things that conceivably could be all lies, but two of them are truths and one of them's a lie, and you tell them in whatever order you want, and then people are supposed to scratch their head and guess which is which, which are the truths, which are the lies. So we're not going to play across the grove this morning. Maybe you can do that later on today if you'd like. But I'm going to give you three things. Now, those of you that know me well, don't go shout it out and give away my, my game here. Uh, but I'm going to tell you three things. Two of them are truths. One of them's a lie. You don't know the order. And uh, just see if you can mentally guess. So number one, I got engaged to be married. I got engaged when I was 19. Number two, I competed as a power lifter. That's weightlifting. One, one sport within weightlifting. And then number three, I heard in person live, saw President Ronald Reagan. So one more time, I got engaged at 19. I competed as a power lifter, and I heard and saw President Ronald Reagan. Now, the funniest part right now is wondering if my parents know the answer to these things, but we won't put them on the spot. All right, who thinks my lie is that I got engaged at 19? Who thinks my lie is that I competed as a power lifter? Come on. Who thinks my lie is that I, I heard or, and saw President Ronald Reagan? Okay, well, good. It's mixed. You have to come back next week for me to... No, I'm kidding. I did hear President Ronald Reagan. It was 1992. I was a college student in Southern California, and uh, his vice president was running for president, and so... Our re-election, actually. So uh, 
Bush number one was running for re-election, and so Reagan was doing uh, the circuit, and uh, he lived, of course, down there, and so uh, I did hear and see President Ronald Reagan. I did compete as a powerlifter in the ninth grade. It doesn't look like it anymore, but I, I did back in those days. So my lie, those of you that said it was the first one, you were correct. Um, I did not get engaged at 19. I actually got married at 19. I turned 20 two weeks later. I got engaged at 18. All right. It was a trick. That's, the, that's it. All right. Well, let me pull us all back to uh, the Sermon on the Mount this morning. Uh, as silly as a get-to-know-you game like this is, and, and I, again, arguably, maybe that's the only time it's okay to not tell the truth. This morning, as we return to Jesus and his words in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, it's rather, rather simple what we're, we're going to find Jesus telling us. We are called, as his sons and daughters, as citizens of the kingdom, we are called to be people of simple truthfulness. We are called to be people of simple truthfulness. Now, at this po- point in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus, he's giving these examples or these applications that relate to what he had said just a few verses earlier. If your eyes are open there in your Bible, you can glance back up to verse 17. Let me read 17 to 20 one more time. Jesus said, Do, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. No, I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And we've talked about it. Fulfilling means that in some cases, yes, there are prophetic words. There were prophetic words that only he perfectly fulfilled as in prophecy. But, but it's more than that. He, he completes it in that sense of fulfilling. They all point to him and they find their completion in him. And as he speaks about what God had said in the law in the Old Testament, we, we look to him. He is the decisive factor for what it all means. And so he's got... Uh, some things to say. Let me keep reading here. Verse 18. Truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot, meaning not the smallest pen stroke of the law will pass until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And so that's what Jesus is doing. Now he's giving these examples. Because in fact, a bunch of people in his day were relaxing those commandments. Or they they had come up with just crazy traditions that really twisted what what God had said and what God's intent was. And so Jesus is saying, you've heard it said, and in many cases, he's going to quote a specific Old Testament verse, and then he's going to explain how that had been abused in his day, and and he's going to help his followers then and us now understand, understand God's intent. And so he says there in verse 20, Really, you got to realize your righteousness is to exceed that of the Pharisees. And probably most people would have thought, really? Like, they're the best at being good. They're, they're, they're the good ones. How can we exceed them? And what he's driving at, uh, I think, is, are two things. One is uh, God's righteousness that he's looking for is not a mere outward external obedience. Enough people can, can do enough good things for a long enough time to look righteous, if you will. But really, it's about the heart. Always inside out, God has always been concerned 
from, from the heart, that, that the heart is transformed to then change how we, we behave. So that's one thing he's driving at there. But also, it's a point to tell us we need him. We need a savior. We, we can't be as righteous as the Pharisees. No one can. None of us live up to our own standards that we have for ourselves, let alone God's. So in other words, we need righteousness that comes from, from, from Jesus, from him as an example, but more than that, from him as our savior. We need him. And so this morning then, as we turn to being people of simple truthfulness, three simple movements, just so you can kind of hook your coats on, uh, on the message this morning, so to speak, and know where we're going. Number one, we need to understand what it is they had heard uh, in the law, but also what the prevailing thoughts were. So what, what they had heard, number one. Number two, Jesus' response, what he had to say, and how he fulfills and completes this. And then number three, how this shows up in our life, being people of simple truthfulness. So number one, what they had heard. Look again at verse 33. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. Now, virtually every commentator agrees that Jesus right there is not quoting any one particular commandment, but rather he's, he's summarizing many passages that speak about oaths and swearing. Now, just so we're clear, uh, th- this type of swearing isn't, you know, the cursing, cussing, bad word swearing, okay? But, but swearing as in, I swear to tell the truth type of swearing, okay? And, and we'll talk about that a little bit more. So again, he's summarizing. For example, Leviticus 19.12 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. Or Numbers chapter 30, verse 2. If a man vows a vow to the Lord or swears an oath to bind himself by a pledge, he shall not break his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Or Deuteronomy chapter 23, verses 21 to 23. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. But if you refrain from vowing, you will not be guilty of sin. You shall be careful to do what is past your lips. For you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised with your mouth. Or a bit later in Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, verse 4. When you vow a vow to God, do not delay paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. So the Old Testament does, in fact, permit vows and oaths and, and swearing. And honestly, it sort of sounds like they were encouraged to do it. And, it, and it's something that was a part of, of their, their everyday life. One of my favorite stories in the book of Genesis is when Abraham sends out his, his servant to his home country in order to find a wife for his son Isaac. Maybe some of you will recall that story. And he makes his servant uh, swear an oath. He makes his servant promise that, that when he finds uh, the type of girl you know, that he's asking, that, that he'll, he'll do exactly what Abraham has, has required. And the way he makes his servant swear isn't by putting his hand on you know, a Bible. Obviously, there wasn't a Bible then or, or any kind of scroll. He actually has his servant put his hand under Abraham's thigh and then swear. So if you got someone near you and you can reach, put your hand under their thigh right now. No, I'm kidding. Don't. Don't do that. That's kind of weird and also a bit creepy. But 
kind of funny to think about, right? That was how Abraham did it. Put your hand under my thigh and swear. So we don't understand that cultural thing at all. Um, And it, again, seems a bit weird to us. But again, swearing, making oaths, these kind of promises, it was a big deal. In fact, even God himself swears. In Genesis chapter 9, verses 9 to 11, he, he swears never to send another universal flood to destroy. In, in Luke chapter 1, 68 and 73, it speaks of God swearing to send a redeemer. Uh, in Psalm 16, 10, which is, is picked up on in, in Acts chapter 2, verses 27 to 31, Peter's sermon, there on the day of Pentecost, God swears to raise his son from the dead. This isn't because God sometimes lies, but, but Hebrews chapter 6, 17 tells us this is in order to help us believe. So Hebrews 6, 17 says, So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath. So God does this, not because he's a liar and, and, you know, has to swear on his mother's grave or has to swear on, you know, all these kind of playground-ish sounding things maybe you think of. That's, that's what I always think of. Things maybe I even said as a kid. I swear on, you know, my lunch or, or funny, crazy things. God's not doing that because he sometimes lies and he has to boister it, but he, he seems to have done this in order to help us believe. Even in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul regularly swears and calls God as his witness. In Romans 1.9, he says, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you. He could have just said, without ceasing I mention you. But he invokes this, this swearing, this oath, this kind of thing. God is my witness. He does that again many, many other times uh, throughout the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 1.23, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 5 and verse 10, or Philippians 1.8. I'll read this one for you. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. The point in all this swearing, oath-taking, it was designed to encourage truthfulness, to make truthfulness sure. So even think in our day, in fact, I don't know if it's still the case. I haven't been in a courtroom as a, ever, like like on trial, I promise you. But as a, as a juror, um, it's been a long time. So I can't recall if, if people do still put their hand on Bibles and swear or if that's just a television thing. But the, the whole point of that is almost to say, like, if you're lying, like, God can nail you right now, you know. And so if you're going to take it seriously, you'll... You'll, you'll swear to tell the truth and nothing but the truth, so help you, you God. One commentator summarizes it like, like this. The direction in which the whole Old Testament, all those verses were pointing, is the fundamental importance of thorough and consistent truthfulness. So that was what they had heard, at least from the Bible, from the, the, the Old Testament, but there were prevailing thoughts of the day, which is, again, why Jesus is addressing this. Because, yeah, God said all these things, and God himself had these, these oaths that he made. But, oh, the people in Jesus' day just convoluted this. That's what Jesus is mostly addressing. Uh, again, he's, he's got these specific examples to show the intent from the beginning and how his authoritative word fulfills and clarifies 
the distortions that were, were happening. So in Jesus' day, um, they, they really messed things up with regard to oaths. Historians and scholars, they, they note that in Jesus' day, the biblical teaching was so distorted that, that rabbis, not all of them, but some of them, they would begin to teach that an oath was not binding if you did not include God's name in it. So, so I mean, they just came up with some crazy, crazy kind of things. Uh, in fact, there's this whole section in the Mishnah devoting to um, oaths, where there's just these elaborate discussions of when an oath is binding and when an oath is, is not. And so they, they would do things like this. There was this statement about if you say things like, by your life or by my beard, may I never see the comfort of Israel if... And so they, they, in a sense, trivialized um, giving a strong and binding oath. And, and so it became commonplace that you could convince another person you were telling the truth if, in fact, you, you were actually lying uh, by, again, just a slight change in, in how you worded what you, you had to say. Um, one rabbi taught that if you swore by Jerusalem, you were not bound, but if you swore toward Jerusalem, well, then you, you were binding yourself to that. Um, and so again, it seems crazy to us. I'm not telling the truth, but I'm really not lying. Almost like when we were kids, let's be honest, uh, on the playground, we would say something, but behind our back, we had our fingers crossed. And if your fingers are crossed, then what you said, you didn't have to hold yourself to it. Anybody remember doing that? Or you, you kind of understand that? So that's, that's, some of you are more righteous than others. Uh, you didn't raise your hands there. But, but those kind of things, um, pinky promises, how, how binding are those, and so on. So that was what they were hearing. All these complicated exceptions, what was binding, what wasn't. And so Jesus is on the scene. He's trying to describe what it means for his followers to be sons and daughters of his kingdom. And so he, as an example, that he has not come to get rid of the Bible, the Old Testament, he, he addresses these oaths. And again, especially this warped misuse of it. So, so look again at verse 34 at what Jesus has to say. I'm, I'm going to read um, verses 34 to 36. But I say to you, do not take an oath at all either by heaven, for it is the throne of God, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. Obviously, uh, he knew people could dye their hair and change colors, presumably even back then, in different ways than now. But again, right, we can't do that. And yet people swore by those kinds of things. And so Jesus is saying there's to be no oaths at all using references to people or objects or God. In fact, he quotes in references, at least, Isaiah 66, 1, the throne of God or, or the earth, because heaven is, is God's throne and earth is his footstool. Or Psalm 48, verse, verse 2, Jerusalem, by or toward or any of that nonsense. No, Jerusalem, Psalm 48, 2 says, is the, the city of the great king. Again, they had no clue at that time that he is, in fact, the great king. Jesus knew what he was saying. Later on in Matthew chapter 23, 
Jesus is going to go into this long string of woes to the Pharisees where he just is rebuking them for their hypocrisy. And a whole section, verses 16 to 22, is going to be about this. He's going to say, woe to you, you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You make these oaths and you say this, but, but you, don't, you don't do what God says. And so a lot of the same concepts are there. Jesus' point is clear. All such oath-taking, vowing, and swearing is wrong. It's sin. Look again at the first words of verse 34. I say to you, do not take an oath at all. And then you jump to verse 37. Let what you say be simply yes. Let your yes mean yes. Probably a lot of you, if you grew up in church, let your yea be yea. Let your yes be yes. Or your no be no. Let, let your nay be nay. Anything more of this comes from evil. So, so Jesus, he knows full well what God did. He knows full well the, the oaths that existed. Um, he knew, I believe, full well, you know, that, that Paul, like all those verses I mentioned, that, that was, there was a context for that. He, again, is trying to get to the core of it. Instead of diluting when something is the truth or not the truth based on where you swear by or toward, just don't even do it. Just as he's come now as the fulfiller and completer of it all, he wants us to be simple truth tellers. He wants his people to, to speak with simple truthfulness. In fact, Jesus' half-brother, James, picked up on this teaching of Jesus because in his letter, he essentially quotes Jesus verbatim, James five twelve. At the end of of the letter, as James is wrapping up things, he says, Above all, my brothers and sisters, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or by any other oath, but let your yes be yes and your no be no, so that you may not fall under condemnation. And as he says at the end, anything more than this, now back in Matthew 5, 37, comes from evil or it can be rendered from the evil one. Speaking of the devil, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Jesus there says that, and again, addressing some people very, very directly, he says, you are of your father, the devil, and and your will is to do your father's desires. And then listen to what he says about, about Satan, about the devil. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies... He speaks out of his own character, for he is a a liar and the father of lies. So Jesus said that in John 8. Here in John 5, he's saying, don't swear. Just just be a simple truth teller. Let your yes mean yes. Let your no be no. Anything more comes from the father of lies, the one who's been a liar from the beginning. It's a pretty serious word to, to put together. If Satan is a liar, the father of lies... That ought to sit heavy on us as we ponder how serious Jesus is, that we be people of simple truthfulness. God help us. So, where does this show up then in life? Where does this show up? Let me first note that there are groups, uh, there have been in history and even today, there's groups like Jehovah's Witnesses uh, among one group, but even in history, Reformation Anabaptists, and even in our day, Quakers, uh, they've understood these verses to, to be absolutely literal, and they therefore refuse 
to take oaths, even in, in court. I just read this week of George Fox. He's the great founder of the Quakers. Uh, he provides this, this famous response to a judge at Lancaster who had sentenced him to prison because he refused to swear over a Bible that he would tell the truth. And this is what George Fox said. You have given me a book here to kiss and to swear on. And this book, which you have given me to kiss, says, kiss the sun. And the sun says in his book, swear not at all. I say as the book says, and yet ye imprison me. How chance ye do not imprison the book for saying so? It's interesting, when I read the, where I read, it goes on to say that because of George Fox's stand, and I can't verify this, but it's interesting, supposedly we don't need to lay our hand on the Bible when we, if we were to go to court uh, because of this stand that, that he took. We can simply say, I affirm that I am telling the truth. So it's interesting um, uh, if that's the case and, and so on. So there are groups who take Jesus very literally here and say, no, Jesus says, don't swear at all even what would be in the context of, you know, court or civil cases. Uh, I would say that's great and that zeal is good. Um, It does seem, though, that maybe that is a very overly literal understanding for the reasons I've already mentioned, God swearing, um, the Apostle Paul making these statements, God is my witness. But but even, even Jesus himself uh, in, in Luke 26, so when Jesus, on the night of his arrest and, and trial, bogus trials, um, he, he was before Caiaphas. And, and Jesus, in that context, honored uh, the official oath from the high priest when he broke his silence. So Matthew 26, 63 and 64 says this, Jesus remained silent, and the high priest said to him, I adjure you. I charge you under oath, that's what that means, by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. So even Jesus in that context, um, under oath, answered the high priests. So whether or not you, you agree with the Quakers that no oaths at all? Again, Jesus' point is, is clear. Just let your yes be yes. If you're my son, my daughter, if you're a kingdom citizen, be someone who is a simple truth teller. Say what you mean, mean what you say. Let yes be yes, let no be no. Now again, where does this show up in real life? I've been convicted a lot as a dad, and my kids could, could tell you stories. Uh, and I think maybe I'm not the only parent um, who gets into trouble, even still, when, when something is asked, and I'm not ready to, to say no, but I'm not ready to say yes. And so, well, I think maybe we'll try to do that another time later, tomorrow, this afternoon. But what happens? Life happens, and other things come up. And then our kids hold us to those things. Dad, you said... You promised, <laughs> you swore. I don't think they ever said that to me, but they definitely say you promised. And, and I've had to confess, you're right, I did. And, and it's a hard lesson still to, to not promise something when I, I maybe can't deliver. And all week I've been thinking about Jesus' words. Let your yes be yes, let your no be no. Say what you mean, mean what you say. And so 
slow down those words. Ponder them before you, you give them. So if that helps some other parents or, or maybe just in other relationships, um, there, there's a bonus point for us. In everyday life, we are to be people of simple truthfulness. Many, many people are prone to embellish, right? The, the, the classic fish tale, you know, right? That's the, kind of the example that always is given. Sorry, fishermen and women out there, but you always are the brunt of this point, right? You catch a fish and it was this big. And when you get home, it was this big, you know, kind of a thing. So, so that ability um, that comes to, to embellish. George MacDonald, some of you may know that name. He was a famous Scottish author and minister. Listen to this admission. So this is a Christian man, uh, very famous, written wonderful books. Listen to this. He said, I always try, I think I do, to be truthful. All the same, I tell a great many petty lies, things that mean one thing to myself, though another to other people. But I do not think lightly of it. Where I am more often wrong is in tacitly pretending I hear things which I do not, especially jokes and good stories, the point of which I always miss. But seeing everyone laugh, I laugh too, for the sake of not looking a fool. My respect for the world's opinion is my greatest stumbling block, I fear. Wow, is that convicting? I can relate to that. So we embellish, we, we go along with things. We, we're prone to not say things so that we don't have to be completely honest, right? If we just don't say everything, then we haven't, you know, told a lie kind of a thing. We, we hold back some part of something as to not force ourselves into saying things we, we don't want to say because we don't want to lie. Simple truthfulness is what Jesus is calling us to. And it's, it's needed in the church. I was thinking about this this week as well. Our vision, Soma's, our vision statement is that by God's grace, it's all his work, we are becoming a church that is actively, spiritually transformed, that is actively loving God and loving others. If we aren't simple, truthful people with one another, we, we are speaking against the body. We are, we are sinning against our brothers and sisters. We're deceiving our members. Who wants to do that? I don't think we willfully want to. But again, when we embellish, when we, when we aren't, as Ephesians 4.15 says, speaking the truth in love, uh, we, we, we in fact don't do the body good. Oh, how we need to be people, people of simple truthfulness in our homes, in our jobs. Those of you that are in school, in, in school, with your friends, amongst your teachers, and in our church. I know how great is the evil one, the father of lies, to just whisper, ah, it's okay. It, it doesn't quite matter. It's not a big deal. But those little things that God sees, right? This is why, this is about integrity. This is about integrity. Even if it's just you that know. No, it's not because God knows. Oh, how we need Jesus' example who spoke the truth. But more than his example, church, right? We need him. We need a savior and he's come. He's come to forgive us for when we fall short and we deliberately lie and when we fall short and we embellish and when we fall short and we, we just don't speak the truth because we don't, want to say things. He, he came to forgive us and to save us. What a Savior we have. And he's there for us 
as we struggle. And maybe this week, maybe this is, this is a word you needed today. Maybe there's some specific areas in your mind where right away you're, you're pretty clearly hearing the Holy Spirit just nudge you about being a simple, truthful person. Um, confess your need to him. You do need him. I need him. And he's there to help us. Let's pray. And Miguel's going to come and lead us in one more song. Father, I pray simply that you would help each and every one of us be people of simple truthfulness, that we would mean what we say and say what we mean, that we would slow down our words, but tell the truth. That that's always been what you've called us to in, in your word, and that's who you are. You'd never lie. You always speak the truth. Help us. I pray, help us. We need you to help us in this. Thank you that you you give us that sustaining grace for this very thing. In Jesus' name.